literature, and film. Alright, so this is the good stuff. Yeah. This is the Laugh Podcast. Over there is Mr. Ryan Bull. Howdy. He's your host. I'm a co-host. I'm the of the of the Laugh Podcast. And this is episode one eighty two. I can be a co host too. We All can right, be you equals. Can Woohoo. <laughs> you can co host this show that we're doing on the Magnificent Seven, one of my most anticipated movies of the year, because uh, it's a Western. That's all you need. Pretty much that's all you need. If you if you say that there's a big name uh a a big produced highly produced uh western that's coming out it's not it's going to be in a wide number of theaters i'm going to go run to go see it we started the year with a western jane got a gun we did and we're going to close out the year probably except there's another western that's on the horizon it's coming down the barrel but this western is a remake uh or a redo or a reboot of the magnificent seven from 1960 this is Antoine Fuqua's Magnificent Sep. Man carries a gun, he tends to use it. Dan, you dead? Pity. I had just ordered a drink from that man. Took a job, looking for some men to join me. Is it difficult? Impossible. How many you got so far? You and me? <laughs> Who's she? We work for her. Good lord. That's right. That man murdered my husband. I want something. I take it. He will take everything we have. So you seek revenge? I seek righteousness. But I'll take revenge. I'll read the IMDB uh, plot summary. It's quite similar to the 1960s movies. It says, Seven gunmen in the Old West gradually come together to help a poor village against savage thieves. Mer. Mer. So, there's your basic plot outline. It's also based on the uh, Seven Samurai. Mm-hmm. By uh, Kurosawa. Yeah, I, I don't know the year of that. It's 1947, maybe? 48, yeah. Okay. Something like that. And then the 1960s was redone as The Magnificent Seven with Yul Brenner. And Steve McQueen, award-winning movie for the Elmer Bernstein uh, score. I think it won an Oscar that year. Or if it didn't, everybody knows it because it's in the meat commercials. Yeah. Uh, and they teased out this uh, the theme for that movie in this movie. It's one of the things I was scared about when they update movies like this. I tend to put in uh, you know, updated music, and I'm not into updated music. So I prefer to have the... Uh, the, the standard score, which I guess really worked in this movie. For me, I mean, I, I don't really pay that much attention to score, but I like the way the the music sort of moved along the action and, and codified what was going on on the screen. Yeah, this movie has to uh, pay homage to the original film while still updating it and making it palatable for a modern audience. Like some of our students, I think, are somewhat interested in this film. Even though it's a Western, you know, they're still willing to go see it because it has Denzel Washington in it. It has Chris Pratt. So, you know, these are people that they know and they like their films. And Antoine Fouquier as a director has done a lot of 
mainstream action films in the past, uh, most famously Training Day, but more recently movies like Olympus Has Fallen, The Equalizer, uh, last year's boxing film Southpaw. Yeah, I think of all of his movies, The Equalizer is my favorite. That's another that collaboration with Denzel Washington. One of the things I didn't like about The Equalizer is there wasn't enough equalizing. But in this movie, there seems to be plenty of equalizing, <laughs> at least in terms of the action. So it's a very heightened action movie. And uh, something that occurred to me while you were talking, you know, kid, parents like to bring their little kids to movies, uh, like uh, Pixar movies. There's something there for the adults and for the children as well. I think that a lot of adults can bring their teenage children to watch this movie because there's something for the adults and the teenagers as well. Yeah, I could see like my father enjoying this as a Western. Oh, yeah. I went with my dad. He loved it. I don't think he liked it as much as I did, though, which yeah. surprises me because I don't normally like action movies like this. My my dad would have some issues with it. I mean, I'm sure we'll get into those a little later on. I think the movie's also uh, beautifully filmed. It's from uh, cinematographer Mario Forio, who did The Equalizer. He's also done films like Real Steel, The Kingdom, Tears of the Sun. And he won a Best Cinematographer in 2010 for Avatar. <sighs> Whatever. So he really has an eye for vision and for oh, epicness. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, screenplay was by Richard Wenk, who worked with Antoine Fuqua on The Equalizer, but it was also um, sort of straightened out or, or cleaned up by uh, Pizzolatto, mm -hmm. the the creative voice behind True Detective. And this is the only other major work that I saw him listed as. Um, uh, True Detective 1 and 2, so... Mm -hmm. He's working with people, Antoine Fuqua is working with people apparently that he's worked with before, and I think that camaraderie is important, and especially in a movie where a bunch of disparate people come together for a common cause, like this one. So, I thought the interactions between the characters was believable enough. Oh yeah, uh, I like Vincent D'Onofrio a lot, and I mean, he steals a lot of the scenes he's in with his... Um Mountain Man, a little yeah. like Jeremiah Johnson. Jack Horn. With this bit of a shrill voice. Right. And you'd expect such a deep baritone from him. I mean, that's what he gave us when he played Kingpin in season one at Daredevil. So, you know, to see him in this role is it's kind of interesting. He's doing a lot. Uh, D'Onofrio has, he might be a little bit too quirky. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I enjoy it. Uh, Ethan Hawke, I like him. You know, he's kind of the haunted uh, Civil War veteran who's probably seen too much death and destruction. But, you know, is he willing to give it one last go to save the day? Uh, Byung Hon Lee as Billy. I like him a Billy lot. Billy Rocks. Yeah, I thought he was always one of the best parts of the G.I. Joe films where mm -hmm. he played Storm Shadow. And he was also the T-1000 in the beginning of Terminator Genesis. You know, when they're in the department store uh -huh. at the very beginning of that. Yep. I thought that was some of the best parts of that film. Yeah, it's probably after that scene. So I the think movie he started to go downhill. It, it did once he was out of minutes. it. Yeah. So, you know, he's quietly able to uh, establish his character and hold his own in these scenes. You know, when you're growing up against someone like Denzel Washington, who just has such a presence in films, and then you have Chris Pratt, who's able to be the funny guy, and, you know, he draws your eyes to him. You know, along with, you know, great actors like Ethan Hawke and Vincent D'Onofrio, it's easy to get lost in the background. Mm -hmm. um, but yet he manages not to do that. So, 
Yeah, uh, the guy you didn't mention, Martin Sensmeyer, plays Red Harvest. He's a Native American. Well, I guess he's Alaskan, mm-hmm. and uh, but he he's noted for being a Native American actor. I think he also sort of makes a mark. The female uh, lead in this, probably the most important female in the movie, uh, Haley Bennett. She sort of sticks out as a as a junior Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, I'm glad to see that she actually can act because I wasn't too sure after I saw her in Hardcore Henry mm. earlier this year. I didn't see that. But. The first person action film filmed yeah. in Russia. So it's just crazy dangerous. Some of the stuff they what do. What is she in that just film. like window dressing in the movie? Uh, she's his love interest. And in, in that movie, I thought it was Jennifer Lawrence too. Yeah. Every time I see her, she looks to me like Jennifer Lawrence. Well, <laughs> and like, she's, she could play her sister. She really can play in between Jennifer Lawrence and Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. So, uh, you could throw in the girl from, uh, Jurassic World in there too. Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> okay. Maybe you're thinking of Jessica Chastain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, is in there too. You could throw all three, all four of them together. I, I think they're all wonderful Put them actresses. All in a blender and they all come out red haired goo. And I do think her part, she could have veered a little too far into melodrama, but she holds her own. Well, I think. Fuqua was allowing them to do all these things in big, wild way. Like they allowed, I think he allowed for these secondary and tertiary characters to make big choices with their characters, like D'Onofrio's voice and uh, maybe Bennett's penchant for melodrama because Denzel is so quiet in the movie. Like he doesn't move a whole lot unless he's on a horse, Mm -hmm. but he looks like he belongs on the horse. He looks like he belongs in the setting. And there's um there's a certain sort of like I guess you mentioned gravitas or an attitude about him that this character needs that he conveys as an actor, but he doesn't have to do a whole lot. I know he's working hard. I can tell that it's I mean, it he's believable in this role, but he doesn't he, he's drawing on his sort of persona as Denzel to play uh Chris Chisholm or Sam Chisholm. Mm-hmm the hero that uh, Emma Cullen turns to for help. Uh, We didn't mention Peter Sarsgaard as the villain of the movie. And he's making some sort of, uh, I don't know, affectatious choices with his, the presentation of that character. He's kind of known for that, (laughs) but I guess Fuqua allowing these guys to, to do those kinds of things is a testament to his willingness to work with actors. And it's probably why he's so, He's he's getting all these big yeah he's an A list director now mm-hmm. uh, he's getting these bigger roles I guess he's working with Jake Gyllenhaal a lot and um, this is his third time working with Denzel he's worked with Ethan Hawke before yeah um, he got his start with Replacement Killers remember that movie yeah not not a great uh, Jet Li film I believe yeah but Mira Sorvino was in that yeah. and tomorrow is her birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday to her. Or today, depending on when you're listening to it. Yeah, to go back, I like what you said about Denzel Washington having to do a lot of acting without really moving. I mean, that's part of what makes Western so great. It's that, you know, these are men of action when it's absolutely needed. And, you know, when you do move, you move decisively. And I think Denzel putting a lot of time, like, to his quick draw and everything, and the way he handles guns has that old-timey Western feel. It didn't feel like him in Training Day or, you know, some modern action film where you're holding a Glock or something. Right. Just the way you hold those old revolvers is different. The way, you know, you're slipping them out of a holster that's hung on your hip. The angle of the hip, yeah. Yeah. 
and, and just the quickness you need. Chris Pratt had a couple scenes early on where he, you know, quickly pulls his gun or puts it away, and it's not overly flashy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that there's a whole lot they can do with CGI or uh, film tricks to increase that speed. That's just something you have to practice and work on a right. lot. And that's something, you know, classic actors like, you know, your John Waynes did. Well, yeah, similar to riding a horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Denzel Washington looks like he belongs on a horse. And I think he, he practiced riding a horse like three hours a day for six months before he ever got to the, to the shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, that guy that plays Red Harvest, Martin Sensmeyer, mentioned that he was two or three minutes late to a, to a bus that was going to take him out to a location shoot somewhere. And he said one Oscar, one Oscar nominated actor, he wouldn't say who just chewed it out up and down. He says, you're, you have this opportunity to do something that no, that not very many people have, and you're going to make people wait on you. What kind of a person do you think you are? He says it made a huge impact on it, on his life. My guess is it was probably Denzel Washington. I don't know who else is on it. Maybe Ethan Hawke might have uh, been Oscar Denofrio. nominated, possibly. But you could see that. I mean, the, these guys, and that's that's what I appreciate about Antoine Fuqua is that you can see work ethic, and you can see a, a dedication to craft and a dedication to whatever it is that you're doing and you can admire it's kind of like what we talked about with the last movie um my blind brother there's like there has to be um sort of a a responsibility that you have to other people on the team that uh if you're if you're going to be part of a team and that that goes for the characters in the movie or also the actors coming together to play these roles and i think it pays off i think i I saw a lot of that in there. I saw a lot of that stuff off the screen that might have like bled onto oh, the screen. And you have to trust that your director is going to make sure you have your moments to shine in the film. I mean, famously with the original Magnificent Seven, there was a lot of infighting among the actors on that film. Yeah, those old Hollywood guys. Uh, Yul Brenner was ready to uh, hit Steve McQueen in the face because he got tired of McQueen always being in the background fiddling with his hat or doing all this extra stuff. And, you know, McQueen was doing it because he didn't like having so few lines and he right. was trying to get noticed. Yeah. None of these actors seem to be trying to upstage each other. You know, they have that quiet confidence that their time will come to shine in the film. Yeah. So that was nice to see. I think Yul Brenner, famously bald guy. <laughs> one of the one of the best bald guys in the past. Yeah. Did he choose to be bald? He like go bald early on. I mean, so, I mean he did the he, king the and I. And ever since the king and I, I mean, he just kept the bald. Yeah, I think he told McQueen, "You can keep flipping that hat around all you want, but all I got to do is take my hat off, <laughs> and then all eyes will be on me." So, yeah, as a bald man myself, or balding man, I can appreciate the 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 wonder of the glorious Yule Brenner. Do you think this movie kits off a new generation of Western films? No. I think it's a continuation of the, of the, I think we've kind of gone full circle, but this is just a continuation of the, uh, superhero genre movie. Okay. So this is just that outlier. It's just a superhero movie. Super. Okay. But we're not going to see more Westerns or remakes of classic Westerns. We're not going to see, um, I'm trying to think of like the sons of Katie Elder or something. No, (laughs) because that's not the sons of Katie Elder is good because of the actors that were in it. 
Yeah, but they tried to remake it with four brothers years ago. You know, they set it in Detroit. But yeah, but I, I, when you update and redo, and I, and I think who was that? Was Mark Wahlberg yeah. was in it? And, but you don't even know who the other actors are. Maybe you do. I don't. I, I think it was a John Singleton film. That's about all I remember. Yeah, it's it, not. It was fine. It, but it wasn't. It was updated and it was set in a modern, you know, city. So I mean, so Hollywood is looking at horse and leather yeah westerns yeah i mean hollywood definitely looks towards westerns and they love to remake stuff does this film prove that old westerns have life i mean we had true grit five six years ago and that did real well yeah but nominated even for best then picture. five six years ago people were saying is this the resurgence of the western and the answer is usually no i mean true grit was a much different movie than this too i, I mean agree. true grit was i mean that's just a coen brothers movie so it's gonna it, it it is what it is. But you have a movie like um, Tombstone and Slow West. Great movies. I don't know who saw them. I mean, not very many people saw them. Ethan Hawke is coming up with a movie this uh, in November that's probably a good direct-to-video. Might make it to some movie houses around here with John Travolta, uh, The Valley of Violence. It's a Western. I mean... We championed Bone Tomahawk last year. Yeah, Bone Tomahawk was great. I think there will be good westerns, but it won't be like this. There won't be 108 or 150 million dollar westerns. We're not going to get George Clooney and no, Ben Affleck in a western. Lone Ranger destroyed that. If they're interested, if George Clooney and Ben Affleck are interest or Ben Affleck are interested in making a movie that is a western, like Fuqua was, mm-hmm. then you might see that. But I think that this is a personal mission of his, and he's able to through the power of his personality, or maybe because people want to work with someone that's so dedicated to what they're doing, he was able to draw in Denzel. You get Denzel on board, and then Ethan Hawks, he, he, went, at, he went to him and said, I want to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, well, don't then, you think all actors want to be in a Western at some point in their career? That that's like know. a badge of honor? I don't know. I, I don't know, because we went so long without him. Like, when Look was at most major actors. They've been in a Western. Tom Hanks? Okay, other than Tom Hanks. <laughs> I mean, I, I can think of a lot. I, I mean, it, at best you could argue um, uh, Rhodes Perdition is kind of a, a modern Western and has elements of that. Well, you're talking about like the revenge motif and yeah. all that. But I that, mean, that, that, that's the closest you can get with Tom Hanks. But I could see Tom Hanks doing a Western. I could see him doing them, but I don't know if he's like clamoring to do one. Okay. I don't think, but I mean, Russell Crowe, Christian Bale, they've all done Western. It seems like every four or five years you Trump, it's good for three movies next year. I don't think there'll be five. And I don't know. The last big budget Western we had was the Lone Ranger and that bombed and people scared a lot of people off. This movie made what 30 million on his first weekend. Mm-hmm. His budget did about like 110 million. So it'll make back its money, but it's not going to make. 300 million or 400 million like if you if you dump a hundred million dollars into a any other action movie you know you're expecting a i don't know maybe a bigger payoff or payback maybe uh, but generally westerns also play well overseas especially in the asian markets they well, this, still like westerns that's probably i can i can understand why bong hoon is in this movie as billy rocks and why he has such an important role because mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to have to go to China. But how are you going to do that with every other Western? Or China or Japan or whatever. You, I, I don't you know, really but still, can. people like Denzel Washington are very popular overseas. You know, they are considered, you know, Hollywood elite. Could Here's you? what I want for the next Western. George Clooney, Ben Affleck, Val Kilmer, Christian Bale, and Michael Keaton. Put all the Batman actors <laughs> okay. and put them in a Western. <laughs> 
that that could be awesome. And that, and I think they're all great actors. Some of them have done westerns before. Val Kilmer was great in Tombstone, but put them all in there. But that, that that's my western. I don't care. Added oh, Charlie Sheen, the sons of Katie Elder. <laughs> Even though they're wildly different ages, they can all play the sons. If they redid the sons of Katie, well, I think John Wayne was probably like. Uh, he was probably in his 50s when he made The Sons of Katie Elder. Oh, yeah. So, so Tom Hanks could play that role. All right. Could you make The Sons of Katie Elder remake with uh, Nick Kroll and Adam Scott and all those other guys we talked about in The Blind Brother? Joel McHale. See, Thomas Middleditch. Yeah. It's not going to have the same draw, the same attraction. So I don't think the genre itself, I think the genre itself is sort of overwrought. Well, there also aren't a whole lot of, the, not burly men, but... I don't know. There's man's a, man. Yeah, man's man. I mean, like Chris Pratt. Everybody else is a metrosexual. Everyone wants to be Chris Pratt, right? He's funny. He seems tall, good looking. Uh, you know, a powerful build. Yeah. They didn't like him when he was doughy Chris Pratt. Nobody no, really yeah. cared much about that. But now that he's now he's working out. He's he's an action movie star. He's the Harrison Ford of our age. I think that's a very good comparison. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, people want to be him. But I, do you think that this group gets together? I mean. We can't spoil anything, but not everybody lives in the Magnificent Seven. Well, does that really matter in the Magnificent Seven universe? Because there were many sequels to the original right. one with actors coming and going, and different actors playing the same role, or you know, different the same character. So. Yeah, and I've always thought, like in superhero films, kill off people, bring them back for the next movie. Who cares? They right. do that all the time in comic books, anyway. Oh, just bring them back. Yeah, well, you can have prequels. Don't, don't really stuff, care man. what happened before. That's something after. I would have liked to see with this kind of movie we're talking about yule brenner they're doing remaking westworld on uh, hbo now and because of that i, I maybe they have 12 series or 12 episodes maybe 10 maybe even more than that if this could have been a 10 or 15 episode season this the <laughs> magnificent seven and you got this the backstory for each of these seven guys i mean you could have had a fascinating uh miniseries I don't know what the budget would have been for something like that, but um, when was the last big uh, 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 Game of Thrones? Game of Thrones is a hundred million dollars an episode, right? I don't know if it's that much, but I, it, it's, it's significant. It's significant. If you if you did that with each one of these characters, I, I would. I mean, I would have watched. You know, I would have watched it. Did you watch the TV show in the nineties? No, but they didn't have the same guys. They no, but I mean, they did the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, but it, it, again, it's the attraction of. Who's behind it? Who's who's involved? If Nick Pozzolato is is writing it and it's in HBO, uh, and Antoine Fuqua is directing it, maybe you could you don't have to have all these A list actors. But if it isn't Adam Scott and Nick Kroll and Joel McHale and those other guys are involved, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to want to watch it. I think, but you know, that's neither here nor there with this movie. This yeah. movie is a solid, entertaining romp of a film it might be the best action movie of the year yeah i think if you like action movies this is an easy recommendation if you like westerns it's a no-brainer um i don't know i guess we'll be talking about westworld in the coming weeks i don't know how much of a western that is yeah it could be a it, it could be a great western like you could have there's so much they could do with that movie or, or with that show from what that, i've heard though they're going more the sci-fi route on that I mean, you could go back to uh, yeah that it's possible. And I mean, there's some that. stuff I've heard. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, I haven't looked at anything. So, um, I, I don't even watch the ads when they come on TV yeah. or anything. Right? Where the original film had much more of those Western elements, mm. at least for half of the film. Right. So. 
Yeah, so I was hoping that this thing would be half and half, but maybe I'm wrong. All right, so you've been able to be very positive for 23 minutes about Magnificent Seven, (laughs) uh, which had a runtime of two hours and 13 minutes. So there had to have been something in there that got under your crawl. Well, the okay, yes, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) I can't give up on... There was so much subtext in the movie that I thought I was reading subtitles. And it's it's because of the modern mentality that we have where everything there's this emphasis no longer on like honor and duty. It's more on not not that that's not in here, but they also have to add in diversity. And uh, um, there's the, the, the whole villain itself is the greedy capitalist that's raping the land. And, you know, t- you know it's just it's it's the villain du jour of our society and i think that it, because of all that political context or subtext it made for a lesser movie it, it made for a more um i don't know it seemed politically driven at times and i it's that's just me that's old man lusk just you know that's okay. fine they didn't have the villain in very much i mean he shows up at the very beginning of the film and we don't see him for over an hour. Right. He has one brief scene and then there's the final showdown. Right. I mean, uh, maybe this is borderline spoilers, but the villain, they set up what he's going to do and then they say, all right, you know, we'll see you at the end. Yeah, I guess it's who he is. The fact that he's a greedy capitalist and they even, it's the speech that he makes about being a capitalist. Uh, Pale Rider uh, had the same, is it Pale Rider? Where he's the, uh, there's the gold miner town and the yeah, um uh it's not pale rider i think it's pale rider <laughs> i don't know no pale rider is where he's the preacher no no that's what i mean but the villain is a is sort of a greedy capitalist oh, gold okay. miner kind of guy but it's not over the top it's not they're not making a statement if they are there you have to read the statement you have to analyze and come up with what it is that the filmmaker is saying it doesn't have to be spoon fed to you but he, this guy makes a I mean, he has a speech where he compares himself to God and capitalist to God. And, and then he proceeds to go out and, you know, indiscriminately murder. And I mean, he, the only thing he didn't do is rape somebody, but that would have probably been an R rated version of this movie. And I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I think that it's, it's just easy. It's just too pat and too easy. I think you, I think the movie didn't need to have that sort of villain. I think it could have had a more nuanced approach. I don't know. I don't think it's a very nuanced film. No, but it could have, and it would have made it a better film. I don't know. I I thought Cyrus Guard was fine. I got more upset with some of the way they used weapons. That always (laughs) bothers me. I mean, people seem to be more accurate with a revolver than they are with a rifle. Right. And so stuff like that bothers me. How many shots someone can take. I mean, most guys are going down with one shot instantly. Right. Falling over deader than a zombie. I guess, see, that didn't bother me so much because, you know, it's like hyper stylized. And it's a, if it is a superhero movie, then everything's out the window. But I could have these same arguments if the, in the superhero movie, Lex Luthor comes out as, you know, this greedy capitalist mm-hmm. that just wants to, you know, rape and pillage and, and trample on the right, the human rights of the poor yeah. individuals. Well, I guess I never really understood the battle plan, like how they were going to defend the town. Right. Like they they purposely 
never showed you a good layout of the town and what was going on. I mean, you had a, a vague idea, kind of like in some heist films of you know how they're going to get from point A to point B, but you have to watch the whole thing yeah, unfold. And, and even during the battle sequence, there were there were characters in key places that you didn't know where they were in relation to each other or in relation to the to the adversary. Well, the whole so town's in a valley. Had, well, yeah. But you never really see the, the hills or the mountain range surrounding this valley. Well, sometimes you do, but you don't do it during the battle sequences. And I'm, I'm talking about like yeah. where there are some instances where you know where a good night Roba show played by Ethan Hawke is. But you're not really sure where Chris Pratt's Josh Faraday is in relation to him. And then there's a sequence where, I I mean, we're kind of getting into kind of spoily stuff, but when um, Denzel is kind of standing there just kind of waiting for stuff to happen, where is he in relation to all these other people? You know, that, that, that kind of annoyed me. I always like the key overhead shot that gives us the layout and lets us know where these guys are in relation to each other, and then you can kind of... I don't know, picture, map it out yeah, in your uh, brain. Game of Thrones has done that well in later seasons of showing these big battles and you kind of get an idea for how people are moving and, you know, why someone's losing uh, right. the sequel Battle to 300, uh, Rise of an Empire. I didn't see that. Early on in that, they they did some good stuff with the ship warfare and, and you kind of got an understanding of the tactics that were going on and I just wish the film had done that, you know, giving you a little bit more to chew on, but you know, this is definitely trying to just be a popcorn film and, you know, it's trying to move on and be fairly fast, even with a runtime of 2.13. I didn't find myself looking at my watch for the film. No. Which I was a little surprised because when I saw that initial runtime, I thought, ooh, this this feels like it's going to be awfully bloated. It, it, it was bloated, but it was bloated during action sequences and not like the kind of, you know, talky stuff. So, mm-hmm. the, like, that whole final scene is probably... A half hour, maybe 40 minutes long, if you talk about the final attack scene. If there are three key events in the movie, like three battle or you know, fight sequences, maybe four, if you, if you think about the opening, um, I think that each one of them are shot in a way that, except for maybe the last one, but the two uh, where you meet Denzel's Chisholm, and then when they first encounter the uh the soldiers of uh Bartholomew Bogues uh evil henchmen or whatever in the village those two scenes are shot like they're paying a lot of attention to the tropes and the uh the uh the 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 design of western movies mm-hmm. so they're they're set and staged and cut and edited and paced out perfectly with respect to those things and so i really enjoyed that and it made me i I think that those peaks especially the 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 middle peak i was talking about when you first meet the uh, henchmen in the village led me to believe that it was going to be a a pretty good final act and maybe the final act wasn't as good as those other two scenes for me but at least it was enjoyable and it didn't like you said it wasn't slow or anything yeah I, i don't know i mean i enjoyed it it felt a little bit too much like those old kung fu movies where it's here we have to attack the heroes one at a time. Oh, okay. I mean, you're talking about the final battle sequence or the, but, fir- but or the middle but one. But the even one the like. middle ones, the okay. same way. I mean, they're outgunned. There should just be this hail of bullets, but yet these guys are able to stand tall way too much. And you know, it always seems like, oh, I just have to deal with these two guys in front of me. 
You know, it's not just this wall of humanity coming at you. I think I was more of the setup to the, to the, to the battle Mm -hmm. was what I was appreciative of the close ups on the eyes and the, the gun. And then you could see an overhead shot of where these guys were in relation to each other. And then, uh, sort of there's some irony with respect to how many people are like, these guys don't know how many people are, they don't, they can't count to seven or whatever. Yeah. So they, and there's the incongruity of having this Japanese guy walking alongside a horse or whatever. It's just, it's like, Hey, what's going on here? There, there was a lot of nuance and yeah, it was kind of neat. I thought so there were a lot of the stuff, the homage to old Westerns. I liked the, the level of acting was great. I don't know if there's any acting that can come out of this. Like in terms of, I'm, I'm talking about, uh, Award consideration. award consideration. Yeah, I don't think anyone gets uh, nominated for an award. Uh, like I said, I like the cinematography. I don't think this gets nominated. There's so much else in, Maybe in the editing. marketplace. Possibly. It could, be, it could be editing. Editing, uh, sound design. I was going and looking through some of the press release stuff, uh-huh. and they don't have the soundtrack on some of the scenes, and the soundtrack does add a whole lot to go back to what you are saying at the beginning of the right. show. Uh, when you're just hearing the the bang of guns and people dropping it just i don't know it lacked something it feels uh hollow well it might be nominated for soundtrack or mm-hmm. sound or whatever so i it's not a slight movie no no I, do we want to spoil any of it have, or have you already spoiled enough what have i spoiled no have we i mean are you just like over spoiling you, you don't I, I can spoil, spoil this movie. the man that hath no music in himself nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. I don't know if there's anything that you really do need to spoil, except for the fact that Chris Pratt dies in this ridiculous explosion at the very end. Oh, this is very much Hollywood actors having to have their moment. I mean, I know earlier I said everyone does a good job until the end. Chris Pratt's death is ridiculous, and then... Denzel Washington has reined it in all film, and he goes full Denzel <laughs> right. in the church. Don't you think, though? I mean, were you thinking Last Samurai when he was attacking the the gun, the Gatling gun? A uh, little Chris bit. Fared, I'm sorry, Chris Pratt's character. A little bit. It also felt a little bit like the opening of Dances with Wolves with Kevin Costner. Oh, okay, just, yeah, just but that, that was all that was metaphor. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't have that for me, but. I thought it was so stupid that they wouldn't just like pull out the the big gun first, just shoot up that village, shoot up that entire village, just level it. And he has more dynamite <laughs> back at the at the mine. Why did they let Why did they let the Magnificent Seven use all the dynamite? <laughs> they should have had their own dynamite. Oh yeah, that's all. I, I wish they had attacked in waves. Yeah, I mean, you could have done some stuff with that. I think there are a series of. I know in Magnificent, not Magnificent Seven. Well, Magnificent Seven, I think there are two or three attacks. In um, Seven Samurai, I think they do attack in waves. No, well, that's the way so, to do it. Yeah, and Seven Samurai is a more isolated village and a lot fewer people. It seems like this village was smack dab in the middle of a valley, but there wasn't a whole lot of surrounding geography that would isolate them or keep them like there wasn't any protective mm-hmm. geographical features. Um, I know there was a river fairly far enough away, but, um, but it wasn't significant in terms of the final battle sequence. And I thought in Magnificent seven, at least 
you could they were able to funnel they they mentioned funneling them in this i'm talking about the original in the original uh the funneling technique made more sense than in this movie this movie it seemed sort of forced and maybe just a reference to well, and then it's what here, are we going to do with these guys fall back and hide in this building and then we'll blow up the bad guys or the three amigos at one point they had a tree cannon that came out of nowhere in the barn oh yeah yeah and i'm like aren't the bad guys like going to just kind of hold back and not do this like that seemed to be a callback to high plains drifter or uh good bad and the ugly when they have the hidden gun underneath yeah yeah so there were a lot of ways to handle that plus i don't know if you need to hire seven guys anyway just hire one guy to go assassinate bogue well, that's one way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> this village is not going to last long. If it's got all that gold in up, then then there are hurdles. It won't make any difference, especially now that you're down to three. Well, and apparently they didn't have a ton of money that they were offering. They didn't even take the money at the end. It was it was it was like they, the three. They amigos. did it for the honor. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mister Chisholm. But if they had this huge gold mine, they could have had their own mercenaries, and in reality, they would have. In the Old West, you would have had hired guns oh, to protect the village, yeah. You wouldn't have these peaceful farmers who've never shot a gun, you know, can't hit the broadside of a barn. But th- that's the thing. This guy has a gold mine up in the mountains, and it's, uh, I mean, half day's ride or at least a couple hours ride away from this valley where this village is. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to me why he was grabbing the land of the villagers that surrounded this where this mine would be. Like the, the the village wasn't in control of the mind that he had already, so it just made him to be too cartoonish and ridiculous. Like he's going to have all of this land, he's not going to be able to do anything with it. It's not like he needed it for the gold anyway. Yeah, they need to have some line about the railroads coming through, and right, this yeah. land's going to be valuable. I mean, that's with a- Nick Pizzolatto, they could have had that. He could have just taken this this the whole subplot from Crew Detective Part Two. I guess, yeah. <laughs> That would have been a good theme. Yeah. Or conflict. So, anyway. So, we both recommend The Magnificent Seven. We're two or four positive reviews of two movies in the last two shows. Wow. What's happening to us? What was the show before this? My Blind Brother? No, no. The show before this. Before that. Sully? Positive there, too. Yeah. There's got to be some negativity coming up. I'm well, sure. I'm working on it. You're not going to let this fly for too long. No. I guess I haven't seen a bad movie in a while. So the aforementioned Yul Brenner, he's an interesting guy. Uh, when he was in The King and I, I heard it might have been Mike Birbiglia. It was one of these guys when they were child actors met him when he was a when he was an older guy, and uh, it was like he was at the end of his career as a uh, a stage actor, and he was re- redoing the the King and I, and this young kid went up to him as a child actor, and he was like, hi! Got slapped in the face. <laughs> Yul Brenner just slapped him across the face. He says, you don't approach your elders like this. Could you imagine that happening now? Like Schwarzenegger slaps someone? Yeah, some kid walks up to him, and Schwarzenegger gives him a pop in the face. Kid walks away with a bleeding nose. and You don't think the kid was actually bleeding from Yul Brenner's slap? No, he probably was just trying to shock him out of it. But either way, you couldn't see... Arnold Schwarzenegger slapping some kid and getting away with that. True. Or Brad Pitt. Or well, he, apparently Brad Pitt's not. <laughs> not even his it. own kid. Yeah. All right, so if you Yul can't Brenner, hit your own kids, who can you hit? Yul Brenner is an old school guy. Kidding. I think they know. 
Yeah, you never know. Based on the last we laugh, maybe not. Girl, he says, uh, Yule Brenner said, Girls have an unfair advantage over men. If they can't get what they want by being smart, they can get it by being dumb. So there you go. From Mr. Bull over there. Been a pleasure. I'm the, uh, I'm Mr. Lusk. Pox at Bonum, everybody. <laughs> Therapy dragons. <laughs> Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. done that before you started recording it helps me check the sound levels <laughs> now i feel like i have to cough mm. best is when you're getting over that cold so yeah you, i know you're always you still feel the, the goo yeah, yeah. Oh, you're, you're big into phlegm yeah you're a phlegmy kind of guy it's very sticky and with the beard you have to be very careful when you blow the nose or not or not yeah you, you,